Hi, I'm JD. This is Chimera Cast, a production of the Chimera Collective. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcatcher. We also have merch available and just launched our Patreon. For backing, you'll gain access to our Discord and the ability to vote on upcoming seasides. You can also get an RSS feed for an unabridged tableside version of the podcast, which includes all our banter, rules discussions, and session debriefs. We'll also have game readings and occasional exclusive seasides in that feed. Links to the details and our social media are in the show notes. Hi, I'm Zach. I'm playing Melio, the bard. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm playing Urazidi, the spellblade. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm playing Kimmin, the shaman. I'm JD. I'm the dungeon master for this game. This is ChimeraCast, a Dungeon World actual play podcast. Last time we left off, you guys were at a black churning lake with a skiff and a metal looking island in the middle of it. There is a kind of waterfall back on the far, far side of the lake. You got into a fight with some harpies, which ended up with the result of Melio. You summoned an ink beast using your magical arts capabilities, which you tried to control but failed to do so, and also resulted in Urizidi disappearing off into this sandy, magical desert somewhere. We don't know exactly where that is. We will figure that out in this session. So I think we're going to kick right back in. These inky black tentacles, right, are writhing around on the edge of this, what you now know to be a very acidic lake. Kimmin is blinded, and so I think first it ends up wrapping one of its tentacles around Kimmin's legs and is going to start hauling you up into the air. What do you do? Melio, what the hell is going on? As Kimmin's scrambling up and, and trying to pull at whatever's... I imagine at this point I'm being dragged toward the Kraken, not lifted in the air yet, though that is the end result of this scene. I I can't keep control of it. Hang on, I've got to try and stop this damn thing. And I'm going to start running and pulling out my bearded axe to try and hack at its tentacle to loosen it and get my compatriot free. I think the problem with that is that these tentacles are numerous and I think importantly, they're transient. So they are shifting and forming and melding together and splitting apart, right? Because it's just ink. There isn't any kind of physical form to this other than what it is manifesting. So you're going to have to maneuver through these writhing, ever-changing tentacles in order to even get to your friend at this point. Okay. You're going to push forward? If I die, I die. I'm going to deftly maneuver between these tentaculars that are flanging around in front of me. Excellent. Give me a Defy Danger plus Dexterity to duck, dodge, dive, dip. I rolled a 10. Excellent. 
maybe you have a kind of connection to this. You're used to, I feel, manipulating ink. You know how it flows. Well, I also made the story, mm-hmm. right? So I understand the rhythms of the beast. Love it. Because I gave them life. So yeah, you are able to make it over there. I think that you can just kind of hack away. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to make you roll again. Mm-hmm. But as you chop this tentacle through... It releases and Kimmin falls back away and down to the ground. And the ink that was wrapped around him continues to constrict and writhe and wriggle. And it starts working its way up to your head. What do you do? Already clawing at my eyes, trying to clear up my vision. I can feel this same weird liquid making its way. Melio, what the hell is this? What's got me? I don't think I ever saw you make this kraken, by the way. I think I just got like an eye full of ink as it exploded out of the ground. I told a story a little bit outside of my means. It's my power manifesting itself. You can't stop it. I'm trying. And I think I'm like trying to grab towards your collar, attempting to get this ink off of you. You probably have water or something, Kimmin. I assume we all have supplies if you wanted to wash your eyes out. I don't know if that would work against magical blindness or if it's like actual ink in your eyes. I am sure I have water, but like in in so far as like the problem solving that's usually associated with these kinds of things, I don't have an item that deals with it. So I don't have like the narrative stuff for water. Do you have water? If you guys have adventuring gear, I will also. I don't, but there's (laughs) Melio. Absolutely not. I took the halfling pipe leaf instead. Good decision. But I think I have an idea. I don't usually use this move that much and it feels like an opportune time. My arcane art, which Ah. you all may be super familiar with. I'm going to do a little creative working here. When I weave a performance into a basic spell, choose an ally and effect. One of them is their mind is shaken clear of one enchantment. Since this is a magical Hmm. blindness Hmm. that is blinding him. What I'm thinking is I'm going to reabsorb this small ink blot into my overrobe and free you of your enchanted blindness. I mean, I think that makes sense, given that this is your magic. This is a piece of it. You can manipulate it. I think that follows. Cool. I would like to do that. Uh, As well, I did take an advanced move. Eldritch Tones. My arcane art is strong, allowing me to choose two effects instead of one. Hell yeah. Nice. Cool. You want me to just roll this guy? Yeah, yeah, just roll it. I mean, I think Kimmin is asking, like, what's going on, right? And you have a moment that you can potentially do this. Yeah. I'm not trying to be too passive, but just, like, clawing at it and, like, stabbing it. I picture you wiping it away, but it doesn't actually... It clears and then comes back right away. Yeah. Also, I'm going to heal you 1d8 damage, potentially, because that's the only other one that makes sense. The other two are like, they get uh, plus two to an assist, or they take plus uh, 1d forward to damage. You're manipulating your magic and your ink, so you can do that however you want if you don't want to heal, or if... Kim and I don't know if you need healing. I was going to say, if we want to gamify this too much, I'm at one less than full. What do you usually attack with? I got a dagger. I actually have a showtel as well, which I haven't used. So the dagger is the only thing that I've been using. That's cool. Okay, let's roll this and see how poorly this goes. That'll be an 11. Your mind will be shaken free of this enchantment. Mostly your eyes will also be shaken free of this enchantment as you will become unblinded. And then I'm working this ink and it comes into my coat. And then I, where's your dagger at right now? It's in my belt. I absorb this ink into my hands, and so it just stains my hands, but it's kind of unwieldy, right? Still, it's like bubbling around into my hands. Little tentacles springing off of your fingers. Exactly. And I just, like, imbue it into the hilt of your dagger as you watch. The camera does a cool zoom in, and it just wraps around and uh, stains your whole dagger black. 
it's almost like I'm enchanting a weapon, but you know, in a much more short term. Excellent. So yeah, you now have this goo blade and you're no longer blinded, Kimmin. What does this give him mechanically? Plus 1d4 damage forward. Nice. So the next attack he makes. I love it. Kimmin, you have been unblinded. Kimmin blinks for a moment and this Kraken thing is still there. Yeah, it's it's still writhing around. It's out of control. It's not necessarily specifically attacking anything, right? Which is why you have the time to do this. It's just a chaotic writhing. So Kimmin blinks for a moment, takes in the scene, and then panics and sporadically looks around. Where the hells did ZD go? I don't know either, right? No, I don't think anybody saw. Yeah. No, I- Everybody is dealing with the Ink Beast or the Harpies. I don't know. They're probably dealing with the Harpies still or something. Get up. So a tentacle like smashes in the ground as we roll over. And I think we find ourselves right by the skiff just to conveniently place ourselves here, right? God's getting the boat. We can't make it back to the road. I haul up over into the boat. Yeah, and, and, and Kimmin, like, puts his back into it, pushes us a little bit out in the water, trying not to touch any of it as he jumps into the bed of the skiff. Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I'm not gonna make you roll for that. You guys are able to make it into this boat and push this skiff off the rocky shoreline. The tentacles are, of course, still writhing on shore. Who knows how long they'll last there. <laughs> and you drift for a little bit, but eventually, of course, it comes to a halt. You're in the middle of this lake. As you look around, neither of you see Urizidi. I grab the Whisper Stone from my pocket. CD! CD! <sighs> Hold on. Would this work over planner distances? Because are our voices going through, like, the spirit realm? That's the idea. I have literally captured a spirit, but that... but Or is this, like, in, in a horror movie when it's fuzzy, like, it's broken in between... I think it being, like, grainy and hard to understand each other is more fun than it being either yes or no. Mm. No, I was actually thinking about that last week of, like, wait a minute. Like, how am I going to get out of here? (laughs) (laughs) Although we haven't really established this, out of character, Uruzidi has transported himself to the planar realm of his patron. But I don't want to use, like, warlock language because I don't think that's how it works. No, my teacher cult leader yeah because you you discussed that you are from this prophetic secret cult that it's kind of infiltrating or has secretly infiltrated a little bit yeah because my mother got like kidnapped and that's how she became uh or got put in the harem of the shah so yeah she's like trying to make it fall from the inside out this is yeah where the thing that is the head of that cult lives so there we go it's a genie. Yeah, we discussed this idea that, that we wanted to draw in like the type of a spiritual realm, the land of smoke, but this is your figurehead that your mother's cult serves. Yeah. It's his realm, or at least he is an entity in this realm, taking inspiration from genie. The land of smoke is a good name. Yeah, I agree. So I think I like the idea that because your Whisper Stone already works by translating your message through another realm that intersects with our own or intersects with the material world, which is the spirit realm, I think it would also be able to transmit into other planar realms that it also intersects with. But I do agree that it's stretching Kimmin's magical capabilities. Yeah, it's not tuned to communicate from this realm. There is also, and I'll, I'll introduce this in character too, but... I have to refresh the Whisper Stones every night. Mm. Oh, so we're on like a ticking clock. 
yeah, and I'll tell ZD that, and I think that that's cool. You know, I can talk to you, but, like, fuck, if you don't get out before nightfall on, you know, whatever timeline you're on, but on planet side. Yeah. Kimmon, are you going to try to communicate with Ruzidi? Is that how this is going to kick off, the scene transition? Yes. You just hear it, but... Ruzidi! In the fiction, it's difficult for you two to hear each other. Yeah, yeah. Ruzidi! Ruzidi, can you hear me? Where are you? Of course I can hear you. Your rocks work, right? I'm very far away from you. In a place called the Land of Smoke. How'd you get there? Well, I've always been able to do this. Just haven't had the occasion yet. Are you coming back? I fully intend to. Are you guys in the same spot? Looking around, the Kraken destroying the shoreline. (laughs) Roughly. JD, do I know how to get to the being that I serve? The genie? Shemesh. So the master of this cabal, Shemesh, no, I don't think that you know where they are in this realm. You maybe have been to this realm before, but I think not frequently or not fully the way that you are now. Yeah, I think I've like spirit journeyed here. Yeah. Or like astral projected maybe. Right. And I think just given the secretive nature of this cult, um, no, you've never had an audience with Shemesh. You've always gone, I think, through your, probably your mother. You are a tool of this cult. I don't think you are a, at least not at this point, I don't think you're in in the inner circle is the way that I picture it, if that's cool with you. Um, Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. I, I, the way I kind of had it, just because of the way some of the moves of the Spellblade work, is that I'm being manipulated by my mother. Right. Right, like, I'm being told that I'm all these things to try to get me to overthrow my dad. Right. Yeah. I think we might need to work together to make a gate to get me out of here. If I had something to fight, I could do it again on my own. But since I don't exactly want to wander around this place, I have a feeling I might be a bit outclassed. What do we need to do on our end? Can you draw me a doorway? I'm just making things up. I have no idea. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) So. I mean, this sounds like your ritual move. I have a sword ritual, and I can take ritual as a 6 through 10 move. Mm. I don't have ritual, which is why I was thinking, like, if we all work together. Okay. As long as JD is okay with this, I think this could be fun. Yeah, I think potentially, obviously, unlike Ritual, there's going to be some rolls involved. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I yeah. 100%. I also don't have a way for you to get back in mind. Okay. You know? okay. I can draw you a door, yes. So I'm just going to talk through this because I, I have no idea where I'm going with any of this. So I think you can follow the Whisper Spirit back to this plane. That's what I was going to say. If between the two of us, we can like connect the Whisper Stones... We've spoken about that connection being weak or weakened because of the way that it must stretch through an extra plane. But I like the idea of you traveling through the spirit plane in order to get back, essentially. Yeah. But I think opening that doorway is the catch, the tricky part. Given that you are trying to translate your two disparate magics and your sources of magic, spirit world and smoke world, which doesn't mean that can't happen, but it will be the two of you working in concert, I think. 
I actually have something. My idea is you can follow the Whisper Spirit back. We'll say at dusk, the Whisper Spirit contracts back to the single Whisper Stone that I have. And you can try to ride it back to us. Oh, cool. And that gives weight to the situation, right? You can potentially get stranded in the spirit world <laughs> or something else could happen, right? But And you get one chance. If that puts the stakes too high, right, I guess we could talk about that, but I think that gives a narrative situation and it also a logical continuation of stuff that I could introduce. Any idea that you guys have, I'm going to roll with. And I like that fictionally, I think. Yeah. No, I think that's cool. Yeah, that sounds sweet. And I think what we'll have to figure out is Kim can explain this and then the Whisper Spirit, I picture, is not a... It's not a massive spirit. To follow it back or to ride it back, as you said, I think is not so clear cut, which is probably where, Kim, in your magic can come into play or you can try to manipulate that a little bit. And then Uruzidi, you're going to have to try to explain how you are potentially doing this. Yeah. So, Kim, in, do you want to explain your yeah. theory or your idea of how he can get back? So, wait, Doorway, are you in another world? Very much so, yes. I've gotten lost in the spirit world before. And I followed some of the Fae as they came here to hunt. Do you know where we are? Relatively speaking, yes. That sounds like a no. You know we're in this world, but you don't know where the Vulture Lands are now, do you? I suppose not, no. Well, at dusk, I have to reattach the Whisper Spirit to these stones. And at that point, it contracts, sort of, back to my main stone that I've captured it in. You might be able to follow it back to us. And um, with a little coaxing, it might help you even. That's where I come in. That sounds about as reasonable to me as anything else. How long is it till dusk? A few hours. Enough time to repair. Not enough time to be prepared. How do I follow it between realms? That's where Melio comes in. It's a whisper spirit, right? You have to listen. We can have Melio enchant the stone that I have here. And as the spirit moves between realms, it should leave a portal for you. Back to the big one here. What do you think, Melio? Should that work? It's a little bit outside my area of expertise, but I'll try anything once. Fine, I'll listen for this thing. Let me know when it's getting closer to dusk. Is time fucked up between the two places? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. So, for narrative convenience, did that conversation, is it almost dusk now? No, because they still have a couple hours. We can jump ahead, but they might be doing something. Or what I think will happen is we'll describe all three of you doing whatever you're doing to prepare for this ritual in this time period. Time is fucky, I think, in the land of smoke, but it's not going to translate. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm not worried about the translation. I'll put it that way. I think that there is no sun here at all. Yeah, yeah. It's in a perpetual twilight. I think it would be cool... If you wanted to do stuff in the land of smoke, I'd say you have a narratively convenient amount of time to do stuff if you want to. Yes, I will also say that. I want to give you guys time on the boat to do whatever you guys want to do or anything else you guys want to do at the lake leading up to this before dusk happens. And then we can jump to dusk whenever that is. Ruzidi, since they had the scene with the Ink Beast, I'm going to go to you first. The land of smoke, as I said, is a kind of perpetual twilight. If you've seen photos of 
the surface of other planets, the way that their atmosphere doesn't have scattering like ours does. Right, right. It's this immediate night and there's a dim sun. So things look unnatural. The light and shadows are strange here and alien. And I think you described this place that you teleported to as a, uh, a sand dune desert, this kind of featureless plain. And I think the reason for that is that the land of smoke, everything is hidden. And unless you know the address, we'll say, you can't just wander onto something. So I'm curious, you said that you've taken spirit journeys here before. Are you going to return somewhere that you have previously visited? Somewhere, using that very loosely. Yeah, there is a meeting place for this cult to Shemesh, and that there's lesser jinn who act as intermediaries. And I want to go there and find one of them to take a message. So describe the physical structure, the quote building that you would find this lesser jinn at. Not you having to just walk there across the sands. Yeah. Though you might have to a little bit, but primarily it simply materializes, like smoke collecting and coming together and solidifying. And maybe also describe how you draw this place to you. Yeah. So I think it's a massive pyramidal structure, and the bottom half looks like it's made out of these massive carved pieces of obsidian like you can see where they've been napped and carved and they the like sides seem to ripple like the ocean whoa you know how when you flake obsidian it's really sharp you can see these incredibly sharp edges and i think they're coated with old blood and at the top the like top piece of this pyramid is golden glass and Inside of that golden glass top is where that meeting space is. And I think Urizidi wills that to him by drawing the smoke that's like hazy in the air together into his memory of the place. So he sketches the things that were there the last time he was here in his mind and like wills that shape upon this universe. He remembers his mother being there and her scent and the other cult members and like the weird masks they wore to hide their identity. And so uh, the first forming that we see is this massive pyramid. And then the second one is Urazidi in the top of the pyramid, this room bathed in golden light with a map, like a huge atlas map laid out on the floor. That's constantly shifting, like geological time sped up and slowed down. And yeah, he's standing in this massive meeting chamber with this huge atlas in the middle. You described it as an atlas that's like changing. It's all sand, right? And it's shifting and building this like 3D landscape. Yeah, that's fucking tight. It's not that it's shifting the same world. It's like all the orthogonal realms are like laid out. So like it's Pythia for a minute and then it's Earth and then it's this place and then it's the spirit realms. And others. Yes, and others. Like, a lots that we haven't talked about. A figure that is not fully materialized, not fully clear the way that you are here, and the way that you always just perpetually are. Mortal beings have a finite end to them. The tip of my finger is the tip of my finger. For these creatures that live here, these genie, they're not so concrete. 
they're ever shifting and they end the way that the atmosphere ends and it is waiting for you having materialized along with this pyramid inside of this meeting room because you called to it what's your mother's name hapathu child of hapathu why have you called me I think this creature is marked. One of the few identifiable things on it is a golden collar around its neck. Does it have like a chain that leads out to nowhere? Yeah, that's good. I like that. Not a chain. It's a thread. Mm. Yeah, it's tight. Urizidi goes down on one knee. Talon's vertical, so he's like leaning on Talon. I have come to beg of... Shemesh, more power to fulfill his will on this earth. While useful, what he's given me thus far is hardly close to enough. Master Shemesh obviously sees some potential in your bloodline. However, how dare you sit before us and Demand more from the master. If you are not up to the task before you, child, Master Shemesh will find another. I have proven myself more than up to the task. My own natural talents and abilities. But this task that has been set before me by our master requires something more, and you and I both know it. How many more of your kind does my father have to put into chains before you'll listen? There's a flare of embers where the eyes would be that quickly burns out. We are patient, but even our patience has its limits. You have not even taken care of a simple task set before you. You are to gain his favor, your father. And instead, you squabble and struggle, and then ask for more to be given to you. Tell me, what is it that you have accomplished? That you are deserving of this power that you ask? I have arrived in the Vulture Lands, creature. I have seen the powers that the creatures who once dwelt there brought to bear upon the world. I believe we will soon have to contend with those powers ourselves. With more power from our master, I might be able to survive those encounters. The treasures that I pull out of this place might not just help me, but also your enslaved siblings. And they might just keep yourself out of chains. Chains are nothing I fear. The thread that trails off into nothing plinks like a piano string. He just plucks it. Boing! You must continue on your path, child, as it has been set before you, and Master Shemesh has already given you its blessing. You have to find it. Like this realm, things are hidden within. There is nothing Master Shemesh must grant you. It is already yours, but it cannot and will not be unearthed because you demand it. Very well. 
that I will endeavor to unearth these powers. Is there anything else you wish the master to know, other than your petulant demands? There are no more messages. Nothing that I've found so far. Well, he probably already knows all of that. Razidi is feeling chastened. You took advantage of the fact that you came over here, but your arrogance carried you through and were like, ah, I'll just go get some more power real quick. Yeah, yeah. I met a being who is more arrogant than I am. So, Ryan, we talked about this off of what the podcast will be. If you want to hear the conversation we have about it, subscribe to our Patreon. But we're going to handle this as a compendium class, I think. So I, yep. I really like the idea of you gaining more power from this side of things more directly than like your Spellblade playbook would kind of allow for. So we'll hash that out with a compendium class that you'll be able to level up into starting from basically this point. I mean, I think the trigger is going to be like when it's revealed that the power of the Land of Smoke is yeah. already within you and blah, blah, blah. We'll get that figured out. And when we do, we'll probably post it. At this, the creature as a whole flares up. This inner burning ember suddenly flares outward, and in a burst of fire, it disappears. And the outsides of the pyramid begin to fade off into smoke again, the wind carrying them along. And you are lowered back down in a pile of sand as the underside of this obelisk returns back into this sandy dune desert. And you're left once again on a bleak, featureless landscape. Melio and Kimmin. While this is all going on, you have time to poke around, prepare yourselves. What are you guys doing before dusk comes? Your feet look like shit. Ugh. Well, I didn't know the damn lake was going to eat away at my clothing. Kimmin looks out at the bubbling lake that looks like it's boiling. I'm not sure I would have stepped in it anyway, but here we are. I'm going to dig my poultices and herbs out of my pack. Mm. Makes sense. This is my last, this is my last use sack. Okay. Are we on like just a like small islet? No, you guys were still on the boat. Gotcha. If you choose to, you can make your way toward the metal platform that is in the center of the lake. There isn't an island. Okay. I mean, it is, but it's a square structure. Person made. Gotcha. Wrap them in this. It's going to require a lot of concentration to drag ZD back here. Might take a lot out of me. Any preparations we can do beforehand, probably for the best. So some solid ground would be nice. Well, let's go over there then. Get on that little island. You guys are going to try to move the skiff over there? Yeah. Yeah. How? Uh, I have a show towel. It might be it. You ain't got nothing? Not even a stick? No. Why would I have picked up a stick before now? I don't know. Can you make an ink ore? That's not really within my realm. You just made an ink kraken. Yeah. You're not wrong about that, but I'm not a like a I'm not like a mundane mage over here. I do big I do big stuff, you know. I I do important things. I'm actually excited by this. So we you say let's get over toward that platform and Kimmin looks at you and you look back at Kimmin for a minute. So what? Can't you make an ink or what? That's not how it works. I have to connect to something. A story. Kimmin sits down hard on the bed of the skiff. You want me to tell you a story about rowing once? I rowed. It was fine. I got there. All right. Make an oar. You really don't know how this works at all, do you? <laughs> no. Make inky dwarven rowers since they're Vikings. Yeah, I know. I get that. Okay. OOC. None of this is covered within my arcane art. No, it's not. 
I really like the idea, right? It's like, well, you don't have a motion to put into an oar or a tool. Mm-hmm. You're not a craftsman. You're an artist. There's a difference. Yeah. I've made wings that you flew with. I've made a kraken. An argument as old as time. I do think in certain situations, this would be a mundane thing you could just do, but it's not. And also, you're insulted by me just assuming that you can do this, (laughs) which is great. Oh, shit. I have adventuring gear. (laughs) It's written in. I have two uses of adventuring gear. What should I have? How far away is this island? A little ways. It's not close enough that you're going to be able to reach it with anything. Okay, yeah. You have to skiff there. I will produce a long stick. A 10-foot pole is like literally the most classic D&D adventuring item. You can have a collapsible rod. Fuck it. Yeah. We're going to go super classic here, folks. I produce a 10-foot pole. So I it out, and then I just begin to row. Be sure to tell your kids about this one. And I just, I I slowly row us to this center island. Your grandchildren can make an ink stick then. I don't want kids. You make it there, but by the time you're at the end, you only have a few feet of pole left, having to reach further and further down with each pole. Yeah. I chuck it off to the side. (laughs) We'll have to find another way back. The skiff runs up on this metal platform. There is, in the center of it, a perfect cube of metal. It is a highly polished, reflective platform and cube. The cube is not just sitting there. It's attached to it. It's like part of the structure. Mm -hmm. There's a bowl that also appears built into the top of this. A shallow, very flat bowl built into the top. And there is another pole that is not built into it, but is jammed through this bowl and into this metal platform and this metal cube that has cracked its otherwise flawless features and is piercing into it a spike. Are you guys going to get off onto the platform? There's plenty of room to stand and sit or walk around a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we get off onto the platform. As you step onto the platform, your stomach falls out from under you like you're hitting that point in a roller coaster. Goosebumps run along your skin. And where you guys were previously able to hear, and I don't know if you remember this from the last episode... But it sounded like there was wailing or crying coming from somewhere across the lake. It is an extremely loud wailing and crying that is now hitting you very hard. You could hear it, but only distantly on the skiff. It's as as soon as your foot steps down that it fills your thoughts, really. And all of this happens at once, this very physical reaction to stepping onto this platform. So we both just hit the deck, right? Yeah. (gasps) Gods, do you hear that? That's all I can hear. I think uh, I'd say a little bit louder, as if trying to talk over this screaming. There doesn't seem to be a problem hearing each other. Oh. Yeah, you like speak too loudly because you expect it to be a problem, but then it's like not. Yeah. Is this some kind of enchantment? Hell if I know, that's what ZD's for. <sighs> as Kimmin fingers pressing into Temple gets to a seated dog position. And sort of crawls over toward the cube, tries to pull himself up on this spike that's set into it. You can stand. You still have goosebumps, but once the initial shock of this, you know, gut-wrenching feeling passes you, it's not physically pulling you down or anything. There are carvings as you reach up and grab this spike. What kind of carvings? Cyclopean ones, a language you've seen here frequently. 
Just to make sure I understand, this isn't part of this structure, right? This spike. It is explicitly not. Yeah, it's the only thing that isn't molded in with the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Although it does look like it's made out of the same material, whatever it is. Gotcha. This black metal. Can you still work here with this? Uh, it'll be hard to do it, but I'll try. Well, hold on. I'm going to try to yank this spike out of the dock, is what I want to call it, but the spike out of this platform. Sure. You are not physically able to pull this out. It doesn't even feel like it's giving at all. There's no slide to it. There's no wiggling it. It's jammed pretty thoroughly in there. You're trying to figure this out, and you're yanking on it, and you step in like a little puddle. There's something leaking out from this structure where this is pierced into it. A very viscous, oil-like liquid. Does it burn like the lake? It burned off Melio's shoe, so... Oh, you're like looking at the bottom of your shoe to see if it is? No, it is sticky and viscous, but it isn't this acid. Kimmon now, consumed by a sort of curiosity, he's trying with all of his might, arm over shoulder, pull this spike out, and notices this puddle on the ground and his foot in it. I look at my shoe, then collapse onto the ground and get real close to it, stick my fingers in it. It is like icy cold to the touch. What's it taste like? It tastes like ashes. Ashes and like when you lick a 9-volt battery. Mm. Kimmon's on the ground coughing. Yeah, your mouth is completely dried out. It tastes like ash and sulfur salts. <clears throat> Why are you trying that stuff? Get it out of the... What are you doing? It's important. Something's happening here. What do you think it is? I don't... I don't know, but... We have to get this spike out. Or make the screaming stop one of the two. Unless you have an idea for getting back to the bank. I go over to the spike. You said there were inscriptions, cyclopean ones? Yes. Do I recognize any of these from the road that we took here? One, or a series of glyphs. Yes. You recognize glyphs that you don't know the translation because it's a name. Siknil Kabor, the Conqueror. And you didn't put it together, really, but it, this same series of glyphs were written on some of the bones. Siknil Kabor? Would some have reverence for him? Yes. You say he's kind of like a legend of heroes past, maybe? <laughs> maybe some people had to write about him in that way. Maybe he wasn't a hero, but, you know, he controlled the, the means of production, and therefore <laughs> the, the, the Tolstoys and the Dostoevskys would write about him and the way in which it would trigger a move. Hi, Bardic Lore. Uh, <laughs> I chose here Legends of Heroes Pass, hoping we could uh, instill some Cyclopean <laughs> history in here. Go for it. Fantastic. When I first encounter an important creature, location, or item, my call, covered by the Bardic lore, I can ask the GM any one question about it. The GM will answer truthfully. The GM may ask you what tale, song, or legend you heard that information in. What malicious act did Sik Nil Kabor commit here? Siknil Kabor, the Conqueror, the Lugal, the King of Kings, Master of All. You'd use these spikes in the days of the Cyclops. You would drive it in at a border and declare war, formally. Hmm. This spike is a declaration of war against death. Okay, first off, do you want to know what tale or whatever? You're right, you get to ask a question. How do I know about this? I, I'm definitely interested... How you would have learned about this. 
is Sicknil Kabor's end mythologized? He obviously doesn't beat death. There's a, a great story of the folly of all created things to stop that which would unmake them. And the unexpectedly long life cycle of Cyclopes turns this story from one of heroism of man falling short in the face of death and is one that is told like a joke almost as if to say like oh yeah what are you gonna go do just fight death until you erode into stone the difference between the declaration of war on death and the finality of the outcome was a ridiculously long time almost like folly in nature when we are so far past it we look back on it and it seems Almost like a joke. It's tilting at windmills. Yeah. I think it permeates between cultures and through cultures. It's instilled in people, right? It's a shared understanding and phraseology of the failures of man to overcome death, immortalized as someone who tried to actually go to war with death. So, would I understand that this is binding anything to the roots of the world below it that is screaming, holding in place something there? Give me probably closer to the spot lord than to the stern realities. Cool. My intelligence is really great, and I'm a powerful wizard. That's a five. <laughs> the churning black water of this lake begins to bubble just off of the platform that you're currently standing on. And then rising out of this blackness comes something that is mostly jaw and teeth dripping this black acid off of its skeletal form dripping out of the eye sockets and out of the teeth in the jaw as this massive crocodile this skeletal undead beast rises out of the water chomps down on the skiff and drags it under the acid water. As it goes under, it rolls, exposing its massive ribs, still just dripping the trickles of this acid water shifting along it. And it sinks under the water, dragging your skiff with it. The surface of the lake once again goes calm. I imagine this scene happens as this beast rises out of the water and chomps down on the skiff in one fluid motion. And Kimmon doesn't flinch and just sees this happen. Hell. All right, we're stuck here. All I can remember of this, I'm starting to understand. Sick needle, Kabor. Have you ever had someone tell you you can't outrun death or defeat it? Kimmon makes a face. They're talking about him. Some origin story. Declared war on death. He transcended something, but in the end... Never quite made it out. None of us do. Ah. <coughs> I see. The sick pit might be because of him. I think this was, and I grabbed the pole, his standard, his sign of intent. I don't know if it's pinning something to this plane or just making a muck of it. But it sure does sound like something's in here. It does. But that's good. Good to know. An offering. Then, as Kimmon walks up to the bowl, I have rules. I don't offer anything to 
beings, I don't know. But be it to death, or what's his name? Sick Nil Kabor. Right, whatever. But they have uh, morbidity. And Kimmin fishes his two severed fingers from his pocket, places them in the bowl. You have anything flammable? Yes. And I pull out a punk. And we burn my fingers to sick Nil Kabor. Or death. Kimmin obviously is unconcerned with the difference, which you may interpret however you want. You're burning your own fingers in offering. I could buy charisma or constitution. What do you guys think? Charisma is better for me, for whatever that's worth. Zach Ryan, what do you guys think? Uh, we're placating the gods. I think it's charisma. Yeah, I'm cool with charisma. Charisma, then. It's a 13. The mourning, the wailing, ceases. Nathan, pick a cardinal direction. Yeah, north. And a wind blows coolly across the lake and over your skin. On the northern bank of the lake, a place where the writhing tentacles have not yet reached, you see a goat chomping on some dead flowers. Hello. Come in. The goat is looking at you. Is this in my mind? Emilio cannot see the goat. I like the idea of Kimmin talking out loud anyway. Hello. And, um, what's your name, since you know mine? I am the scribe of the north. A Kyrix, a messenger of fate. I have been sent to tell you that even in this place, though... It cannot reach you. Death has seen your offering. Death told its sibling fate, and fate sent me. Even though death has no power here anymore. Sibling does. Fate bestows its blessing on you. And the goat wanders off as another northerly wind blows through. Melio, you hear Kimmin mutter to himself for a minute under his breath. We should get to work. Okay. You want to give me that uh, stone of yours? I toss it to you. I have both in my hands. You said this was like a whisper network, right? Don't mix them up. No. Put yours in your pocket. Alright. I think I can help. You said he's got to follow it, right? So, we need to talk into it. And, um, as it comes back... We have half an hour or so. And as I or we talk, your ink should ripple and create a tear, which he can follow back, hopefully. All right. Hopefully this works. So I hold this stone up to my face. And the God King's son has gone away into a land that's dark and gray. So now he's got to follow my voice back home. And then he starts just singing that over and over again. End of the stone. Dope. Lovely. Yeah, and Kimmin is off to the side, cross-legged and concentrating, muttering to the spirits. And ZD's stone starts humming with this song. Clear. Unlike our transmission before. ZD, I think as dusk 
proceeds on the mortal plane. Though difficult for Melio and Kimin to see in this AZ land that they're currently living in. But that slightly brighter glow through that fog is beginning to sink under the horizon. As it does so in the mortal realm, we flip and see ourselves back in the land of smoke. Melio's voice, what was clear, it begins to fade from your mind. You have to strain to focus on it. What do you do? Urzidi sitting cross-legged on the ground, Talon placed long ways across his lap, so he's sort of like leaning against the haft of it, holding this uh, whisper stone in his two hands. Urzidi essentially uses whatever magic provides his sword magic because he can see the spirit realm, but he's using it to hear and like psychically following that sound. He's not like physically chasing down whatever this is because that wouldn't do him and he'd just be running through these sand dunes. He's like opening those doors on his own to follow between worlds. So there's a lot of potential here, but I think we'll start out at least with Urizidi. Give me a defied danger plus whatever it is your main status. I think it's intelligence. Is that right? Plus int. Yeah. You're still using your magic to try and focus on this. Yeah. Five. <laughs> ah, no. Kimmin, you are trying your best to use your own magic here, right? To draw Ruzidi back to you. Describe to me the scenery of the spirit realm that you are able to locate Urizidi in as you continue to try to draw him forward. Zidi steps through this imaginary doorway from one plane to another, and his first step drags him upward, as though you were taking a step directly into a pool of water, and you struggle, gasping for breath, realizing it comes easy. And around you everywhere are tall trees with trunks the size of buildings and leaves like discs. And the path you're following undulating like a snake. And Kimin, how do you continue to try to draw Uruzidi to you? I want to make a note right here where if there's a potential aid, normally we could only get plus one. My arcane art has the ability to when you successfully aid you get a plus two well you could use that to aid me because you got a five no 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 no. when they next successfully aid someone that person gets it has to chain to the person who's aiding the person oh okay. okay that's cool i was gonna have him roll separately but aiding works there too and then yeah, let's do it. Obviously, you have the move. Let's try to chain stuff together. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Melio, I'm losing him. I move over to you, still holding the stone in my hand, singing into it. And I just put my hand on your shoulder and connect myself to you through this, which I would argue is not an aspect of my art I often use, the singing. You're singing combined with me. We get like... It's like a tuning fork or something, right? Well, no, I think ink starts, like, emanating from me. Mm, that's pretty sick. And dissolving into the air, so I have, like, this weird black ink aura. 
assuming everything works out. So yeah, I'm gonna roll my arcane art, and we'll see if this is all gonna work out. That'll be a ten. Why don't you just heal one d eight so you can go up to full health? <laughs> Who's getting healed? Let's work about the secondary effects later. Later, yeah, <laughs> no, that's what I say. But yes, the primary effect with my arcane art, one we haven't chosen yet. I have one that says the next time someone successfully assists the target with aid, they get plus two instead of plus one. So yeah, with that success, then Kim in, you can continue describing how you are drawing Uriziti back to you. So this this black aura from Kimmin extends out and then separates into the host of colors, all the layers on top of each other as we extrapolate out all of the dimensions and we follow across each of the planes to the sound that Zidi's trying to follow and he loses himself. And, assuming this works, the Whisper Stone will begin emanating this black aura in whatever color pitch is in the plane that he's in. Yeah, go ahead and give me an aid. It's a 13. Ooh! <laughs> let's go! Oh, that's beautiful. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's so good. Rizidi, describe to me how this black aura helps you with your focus on your travels back to the mortal plane. Yeah. So I think it's almost like this aura forms around the stone in his hand. It's that directional, almost like a needle. And so he's got to like keep his mental frequency pinpointed, right? And so it's helping him. It's like a visual guide of what direction he needs to keep moving in. As it like warps through these colors and Urizidi's hurling open these spiritual doors. Fuck yeah. So this brings your roll up to a seven. Zach, give me a part of the spirit world that Urizidi finds himself traveling through. For a long time, you're traveling through that undulating snake-like road. And eventually, you're still walking, but you look below you and you see nothing except puffy white clouds. And you look above you and you see the undulating road that you must have left behind. And you look in front of you, and you see the most decorated, strange castles that hang upside down from the clouds in the skies. Wings of small insects and birds fly all around them, and the sun glistens. But behind the flapping of feathers and small buzz of insect wings in this upside-down cloud city, you hear the low growl of that which you shouldn't approach. Rubizidi, you make progress, and you open another door as you travel through the spirit world and find yourself suddenly as you follow this song back to the mortal plane somewhere else you feel like you're getting close but Urizidi describe your black gates to me Urizidi's standing on a long road the camera's kind of like right on his face and you can see stretching out behind these golden hills this dark stone paved road as the camera pans around Urizidi 
we see these huge carved sphinxes from the same dark stone as the road, each flanking the entrance to not a palace, like a a single tower that rises up from these golden plains. And Urzidi approaches, passes beneath these towering sphinxes, and approaches this tower. It's just got a yawning black portal for an entrance. And from that portal strides a figure wearing a black iron crown. No. Oh. There are sphinxes and a tower. And you can feel your mortality weighing heavily on you. But there is no one here. What do you do? Urzidi strides forward, trying to get a glimpse at what lies behind this black portal, trying to see what's in the tower. From outside, you see nothing. Nothing seems to pierce this veil. Yeah, I go in. Urzidi, you find yourself standing on a black metal platform with a raised perfect cube coming out of it. A bowl sitting on the top of that with a spike jutting through the entire structure. Your friends, Melio and Kimmin, are across from you. You guys can see how badly Urzidi's hands are shaking. Well, that was certainly interesting. Emilio's voice, what was clear, like listening to it on a hi-fi stereo, (laughs) analog, of course, (laughs) it begins to fade from your mind like you downloaded it from a sketchy link on Kazaa. I love this analogy. <laughs> this is a very yeah. This is, <laughs> listeners, if this connects specific. with you. Yeah. yeah, if this connects with you, you are our intended audience. <laughs> it was it was the mono recording, of course. <laughs>